When we last left our heroes, they were locked into a terribly important discussion. Let's drop in on them again as they plot the future. Now from the Top Dog's Kennel in beautiful downtown Burbank, it's the Terrence and Phillips Show. Once again, thank you so much, Gary, for that wonderful introduction. This is the Terrence and Phillips Show. I'm Terrence Curran. And I'm Philip Hutchins. And we're here to talk about all kinds of stuff. And today, <laughs> today, I wanted to ask if I, I started talking to Philip about this, and I thought, you know, we should be talking about this on, on air so people can find out about this. I was asking him how the App Store works when you have a revision to, you know, your application that you want to make more money on. So if I've added new features and now I want to make extra money to pay for that development, what's involved? Well, if you're selling through the App Store, you, for a start, you've got a whole lot of restrictions that don't apply to you if you're selling direct, even for the same platform. But if you're selling through the App Store and you want to you want to upgrade, you can do one of two things. You can make it free or you can you can sell the app again as like the super-duper version 2 of the app or, you know, Angry Birds even angrier. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Angry Birds totally furious and so on. Um, but then that completely replaces the earlier app. It it could, yes, or it could just sit alongside the earlier app. Oh, so you could have two versions. Yeah. Except for you were mentioning something about sandbox. Well, yes, sandboxing sandboxing is one of the things that, that a new app has to sandbox. So, in fact, submitting the, the new um, producer's best friend for Final Cut Pro Ten, our reporting tool, this is the first time we've hit the sandbox because these restrictions have come in and we've never introduced a major upgrade to any of our apps for the very reason that it would have to be sandboxed. So it's only, we've only had bug so fixes. So explain sandbox. Sand, sandboxing essentially limits what the app can do. It, it prevents you from stepping on the toes of another app. So you're playing in your own sandbox you're is sand, why they call Playing it in it. your own sandbox, okay. that is exactly what it is. You, you essentially have to ask the user for permission to save a file somewhere. Um, oh, wow. Um, to open a file. Um, things, things like that are... They, they basically, when you when you do the approved open dialogue, it cuts a hole through the security momentarily, so you can get, grab a file from outside your sandbox and ping it into your sandbox, and then when you save it out again, it opens a little hole through the sandbox to send something out of the sandbox. Wow. Yeah. So why are they doing that? What's the? It's a security thing. You know, apps that are sandboxed are very much more secure. You cannot have an app go rogue. Okay. Because it can't touch anything that's not of its own. For example, we tried to put Event Manager 10 in the App Store. We thought that we would do much better in the App Store than we will in our own store, and I believe we would have. But because Event Manager 10 is moving folders inside, from into and out of folders created by Final Cut Pro 10, it cannot be made to, to fit the sandboxing rules. Oh, because, still it's, something because it's touching another app's assets, touched, basically. Yes. Okay. Only Final Cut Pro 10 under sandbox, he can touch those folders okay. that he created. So if you had, uh, let's say, a Final Cut 11, you couldn't have – they couldn't, wouldn't have in the App Store, they wouldn't have Final Cut 10 and Final Cut 11 available basically. Probably not. Probably so not. So it would just be that's it. You've got to go to Final and Cut I 11. Should, at this point, Final Cut 10 is not sandbox. So these, require, these restrictions don't apply. Yet. Uh, yet. I mean I, I'm sure that there's a, there's a move within the company for everything to be sandboxed. But it's going to be, I mean, hell for the developers of Final Cut Pro 10 and hell for the developer e ecosystem that sits around it because such a simple thing as a, oh, a reference to a file, uh -huh. you know, which we've just seen as basically a URL to the file. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, no, that's not secure. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So we, whatever they do, we can't do that. 
so yeah, so I'm trying to figure this out. So if you traditionally, well, you know, take Avid for example, they do a, you know, 4.5 and then a 5 in each one of those, you know, halfway, whatever the heck you want to call that. Yeah. Not a point release necessarily, but a point half <laughs> has been a paid upgrade. Right. So that's going to be hard to do through the App Store for them. I mean, you can get Well, I don't I don't believe that it, that there's any benefit for Avid or Adobe to go into the App Store. Okay. A, that, that would be almost they, impossible. Is, are, is there always – I mean, is that – is the App Store being lined up to be this is how you're going to have to play in, in uh, Apple land or no? I have seen no signs that people okay. are going to be forced into the App Store. I would go largely so, into so the App Store So if you're not in the App Store, you, Sandbox doesn't apply? Sandboxing does not apply unless you want to go in the App Store, correct? Oh, okay. You do have to still have a developer certificate signing, which is something that all operating systems should have had right from the very start. Yeah. Um, I saw, first saw people recommending this and saying, why isn't it in the OS, uh, like 2004, 2005? And I had no idea what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And essentially that just simply means that a developer is registered with the, yeah. the company who runs the OS. They have a, a developer certificate that says, you know, you're a developer that plays by the rules yeah. and you sign your – Less likely to crash your system and less likely to be a hacker. Well, more like yes, it's not they're not going to hack your your computer. No. And plus, they they can be remotely killed. Okay. Should it, should an app somehow, and I don't think anyone ever has, but should an app slip through the system, Apple can say no. When that runs, it dies if they connect to the internet. Wow. <laughs> I've never heard them use it. I've never heard of use, but the potential is there, and that's and again, having the app signing is mm-hmm. important. People look for that. You can still run an app that isn't signed. Yeah, but you have, you to, have work to work around. Yeah, or you change have to your work. security. I remember settings. when Avid had hit that. Yeah, the first. first release. You know, I mean, Microsoft has that in Windows too. But yeah. you know, it's like you'll get the warning. This, you know, there's no certificate for this. Yeah. you can choose whether to install it or not after that. But OS ten makes it a little harder. If, it, if you double-click it and it's not assigned it's, or it doesn't recognize this, the certificate, it will just give you a dialogue that says, sorry, this isn't signed. But if you, if you right-click and say open, oh, then, it'll work. then it'll bring up a dialogue that gives you the option to, to open it anyway. Okay. So, that, um, it's yeah. interesting because I, I, you know, I'm looking at these you know, those kind of business models you know, in, well, in Adobe, comparison to the cloud, yeah. you know, the, the Adobe's cloud approach. Um, and certainly – I'm sure Avid would love to get to that point, too, at some point in time. <laughs> Though, uh, as an aside, in the Avid universe, I wanted to bring this up. You know, we're upgrading uh, systems to 7 now, slowly. Um, one of the big gotchas is, and and I don't remember Avid ever doing this in all the time I've been on Avid, but uh, if you create or even open a bin that's been created in a previous version in 7 and save it, you can't open it in the older versions except the most current patch release. So it's 6.5.3 and 6.0.14 or something like that, and 5.5.3, and that's it. Those, you know, if you have those In other most, words, they went back and wrote importers for the new form. Yes, they did. They went back versions. and wrote, exactly, they wrote uh, patches to do that. So, and most people don't, you know, stay current all the time. So you get bit, you know, we've had files go out, and our, you know, bins that go back out to the, back to the client, and they go, I can't open it. And you get a weird error message. It doesn't say, oh, the bin, there's a problem with the bin. You get this, you know, IO short run, you know, and you're like, what the hell is wrong with it? Something's corrupted. They've never done that. Now they've done it. So, you know, if you have the current version like 6.5.3 for instance what we're doing so we'll if we know it's going back out to a client we have to open it in 6.5.3 resave the bin and then send it out right you know it has to do with they've added new stuff into the bin structure to support lots and things like that and again this has never been done before so that's why i thought it's important to warn <laughs> and and note that 
frankly, it's only Avid that's ever given you that backward compatibility. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, and it's one of the things we loved about it. You yeah. know, you always could go backwards. But Going back in the Final Cut world, you'd have to hack the the XML to go back a version and... Yeah. Uh, well, we always or kept the earlier versions XML and we always that. kept it and we yeah. still have. We have startup drives with each version of Final Cut. So yeah. if we have if we have somebody comes in with one of the older ones we could do that. You know? And I don't think you can open I think Creative Cloud and CS6 you you can open, but I don't think you can necessarily open CS6 and CS55 and earlier. Uh they Adobe came out with they give you an option to save Avas back or one or two yeah, versions that's right. or something. They do, do yeah. one or two versions, you're right. Yeah. yeah. But that was, you know, that's kind of so it's similar to what Avid's done, yeah. you know. It's like, well, we got to get my act for this, but it's not. Re- I mean, the writing's on the wall that they they finally said, you know what, we've got to move forward and stop worrying about it. The other option for app developers through the App Store is an in-store purchase, and Movie Slate used this. Movie Slate's more of an ecosystem these days. I don't know if it's the it's a slating tool for an iPad. Okay. And they have connections to to modern Wi-Fi based um, timecode generators and locked locked. Lockbox equivalents. Yeah, so they're working outside so, of the sandbox then. No, no, because within the sandbox, you can you, you, everything on an iPad is sandboxed. Oh, okay. You, you, for iPad and iPhone, you cannot make a non-sandboxed app. They they just simply do not exist. Okay, so, so everything everything is sandboxed. So if Abbott ever wanted to be on an iPad, they would have a problem. Well, because you can't touch anything belonging to anybody else on on the phone. So how's Final Cut going to run on? Final Cut's never going to run on an iPad. Nope. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Now, remote like they did with Logic, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, no, an in-app purchase is where you can buy an extra feature. So if you wanted to have their multicam feature, you've purchased the the basic app for, I don't know, twenty nine ninety five ninety nine, and for an extra fourteen ninety nine, you can work with multicam, and you get a set of features that are related to multicam. Okay. So you could have a basic app. You know, I mean, so it's two different apps, or it's, it no, no, just it's, expands the app? Yeah. I mean, in the games, you would buy more trinkets, more power. Oh, uh, okay. You know. So within the game itself, does yeah. it still build through the App Store? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's all built through the App Store. It's, an in, it's called an in-app purchase. Mm-hmm. You can either buy, buy an add-on for your app. Which means Apple takes 30% of that, too. Apple takes 30% of that, oh too. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, my, my quick and... and not entirely scientific because we really didn't have a long enough run mm-hmm. um, before other factors influenced. It looked like uh, 10 to 7 did about three times better in the App Store than it did in our store alone okay. before we had the hit of publicity that went with 7 to 10. Right. So, so you're saying it was worth the 30% hit? I think it's very much worth the 30% hit. People prefer to buy it. We get regularly, why isn't Event Manager 10 in the App Store? It's like, because they rejected it. <laughs> 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 and again, and workflow tools, things that work across applications could never go in the App Store. A preference manager for Final oh. Cut Pro 10 could never go in the App Store. Okay. Because you're touching a file belonging to someone else. Okay. So there's a lot of restrictions. There's a, there's a lot of benefits for, for a developer. And you, I'm actually getting into the point where one of those for us is a little isolation from the customer. Oh, yeah, because you don't have the direct <laughs> connection anymore. Um, now, we, we've always loved that, but it's, it's ex- exponentially more difficult when you have uh, an app that, that generates as many sales as a $5 app does. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And what happens with uh, – uh, is it still a problem, like when you do bug fixes and all that? Is- no, no. The, the, the only thing that we find frustrating about that is that we can roll a bug fix out to, directly to our customers yeah. with our direct customers that day. Right. Sparkle updating is built into every one of our non-App Store apps. We have to submit it to the App Store, and the time the, the days are getting great, but it's been up to three or four weeks before you can get an update through the App Store. Now, okay. 
now it was like that last update was submitted on Friday and was in review, I think, on Wednesday. Oh, so the time is getting shorter. Yeah. So whether they caught up with a backlog or they put it on enough people to make sure the time. So it doesn't feel quite so bad anymore. Than- okay. Now, I remember when you were like, oh, man, just to do a little fix, it takes yeah. forever. <laughs> well, so Greg would tend to leave them to two or three fixes before you rolled out another update. Yeah, that makes which sense. Which means it's longer to roll it out than you'd like. If there's a fix discovered to be needed, yeah. it's generally because somebody needs it. And what we usually do then is we'll just send them a... I was going to say, could you send it straight? We send them a version of ours with the timeouts until it can get back in the app store. Okay. We try and help the customers. But it would be nice to be able to not have our own store and deal all together with the app store or, or the various app stores. I mean... If you build stuff for Adobe products using the panes, which I think are a fabulous idea, mm-hmm. do you know you know about these? You can create a panel. It looks like an it looks like an Adobe panel to go into most of their apps, as in Photoshop and Premiere for for sure, Pro and Prelude, mm-hmm. and that can connect. That can be actually the interface for Cat TV or for Pond Five, or you can actually from that interface you can search Pond Five for stock footage. Okay. Um, That's so, what Avid tried to do with their marketplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you couldn't actually put those – could you put those interfaces into the app itself? You uh, – what happens is you go up under um, the marketplace menu basically yeah. and then select like stock footage and then it comes up and it gives you all the options. And you click on them and you you get their web page and it downloads the yeah. footage. You know, you select your stuff from their interface. But you're actually interfacing to Avid store at that point, not to Pond5 store. Yeah, it's not Avid's store. It's their okay. – you know, you're going through Avid, but I mean right. you're going to their store. And if you select stuff, it, it downloads through Avid's download manager and okay. gives you the you know the low-res footage and then you can go back and get the high-res footage or whatever. I, I've never – I mean I just played with it once just to see how it works, but I've never actually – because mm. we don't do that. We're primarily finishing, no, so no, we're not buying fair, a yeah, lot of stock fair, footage. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, that was the concept there. I mean they're yeah. all trying to do that, build in the, the – you can get effects, you know, plugins that way too through right. the marketplace thing. Um, so, yeah. yeah, they're all kind of trying to do that where uh, – Adobe do have a store for people to buy these and download these mm-hmm. um, plugins, but they actually creates a panel within the application. So oh, that's cool. If we, you know, we probably should do the sequence clip reporter for Premiere. Probably should ultimately become a panel. That makes sense because then we can run it cross platform. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, because so, you as long as the underlying code, so runs you don't have to code for both. We don't have to. We we have a common interface, oh, and the interface that's... is the thing that causes us much most problems on on Windows. Okay. The underlying Ruby code can run on both platforms. That's cool. So if we've got a way – yeah, we're, I'm just starting to really explore this. And I, I, I've been aware of it for a while mm-hmm. and never thought we had an application. And it's become more obvious that looking at what else is being done with it, that no, maybe this is the direction we should be going because it makes you f- part of the application largely. I that's, like, yeah, I like that's, that. that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, cutting your developer time because of not having to go for – Two different, yeah. yeah. you'd write the interface, and oh. it used to be that the interface had to be written in Flex, actually. Okay. But now they're introducing HTML5 interfaces, which is much more comfortable for us non-Flash developers. So are they moving away from Flash? Or? Oh, completely. I mean, wow, because they base I, so much on I that. know, but they. I have to give them an enormous amount of credit. I think they saw the Flash writing on the wall when they saw the move to to smartphones and, frankly, their own inability to deliver any good Flash experience on any smartphone ever, mm-hmm. and including the ones they actually put it onto. It was not a good experience. Mm-hmm. That they saw the writing on the wall, and I, I think we had a conversation or I said somewhere that the company that's, that's most 
able to benefit from the shift to HTML5 would be Adobe because they've got all of the authoring tools. All you've got to do is compile it to something different on the back end. Yeah, that makes sense. And indeed, there's a whole range of HTML5 authoring tools now within Adobe's Creative Cloud. And what about the, the you know, maybe the Flash animation app? Is it, what's, how's that supported in HTML5? Um, there's a lot of animation you can do in HTML5. It's going to be kind of the same thing? or Pretty much. The, I mean, the, I think it's Adobe, the various versions of Adobe Muse are what's the main authoring. There's, but there's two or three different HTML5 authoring tools. Again, it's not my, not yeah. my area. But one of the interesting things about the Creative Cloud is because we're subscribed – yeah, Greg, was, Greg, was, Greg, yeah. Greg was inclined to say, well, what are these? And like download yeah. it and have explore yeah. of it and see if it's something you do want to yeah. use or not. Uh, that is the good part of the creative cloud, yeah. Well, what are, I mean, I mean, you know, I can understand the uh, concern about the continuous cost, but what other objections have there been that have been – that people are spitting out? I don't own my software. Uh, well, you didn't own it before technically. But technically, you, you did yeah. physically have the disk, but you didn't technically um, own it. No, but – if you read the, the license, if I, if I, yes. If I stop, if I stop paying for upgrades, I still own the version that I have. Right. And then there, there but if you keep playing Creative Cloud, you don't own the version that you have. Yeah, there is. Okay, that's valid. And if their save as backwards goes away, that may make it more difficult. That said, there are lots of ways in and out of the Adobe applications, and a lot of other applications read Adobe's file formats. Photoshop, for example, is widely yeah. read across yes. me. Um, after uh, Effects, Illustrator, pretty Illustrator, much. Illustrator, yeah, yeah, again. Not so much um, After Effects and Premiere Pro, but Premiere Pro is getting better at Final Cut Pro 7 XML. <laughs> and it's pretty obvious that... Just that, in time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's pretty obvious that Adobe's plan is to use Final Cut Pro 7 XML as their XML format. Oh, okay. They're starting to add extensions in, or Adobe-specific information into the XML. And I wonder if that's because Wes knows uh, Final Cut 7 XML so well. Uh, oh, well why wouldn't you had... go with 10? I mean, it's, that's the future on that side, so why not go? Or is, is it not as good? Uh, it's certainly a lot harder to work with. Greg's been working with Final Cut Pro 10 XML for just on two, two years and a couple of months now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, just on two years. And... He said about two weeks ago, he said, I think I'm finally starting to understand this. I can read the DTD now, the document description, and it makes sense. Oh, my God. And he's worked with it pretty much every day for the and last two smart. years. And he's smart. And he's <laughs> wicked smart, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, so... Uh, That's not good. <laughs> the, only, the only potential sign that they may support something other than Final Cut 7 XML is that um, the export format is a pop-up menu inhabited by only one item. Oh, okay. Um but there's not a lot to be gained in Adobe's world by producing Final Cut Pro 10 XML directly because if you do need to go from 7 to 10, well, for 10 bucks you can do it. Right. And we've spent a lot of effort making sure that works with Adobe Premiere Pro XML. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at the, at the bug fix revision, you'll see a lot of effort has gone into fully supporting the Adobe so you version. So now you can go out of 10 using 10 to 7 and go into Premiere? Can you go straight yeah. or do you have to go through 7 and then No, you can Premiere? go straight to Premiere. Again, we've okay. spent quite a lot of effort on uh, as people have been more and more using the, the 10 to 7. That's certainly worth $10 at intelligentassistance.com. Uh, uh, 10, 10 to 7 is actually forty nine ninety nine. But Oh, well, uh, that's certainly worth forty nine ninety nine <laughs> if you're doing that constantly. Yeah, like I said, I think they're, they're using Final Cut 7 as their de facto – they'll be their de facto XML. As I said, they're adding – Okay. Um, Adobe-specific extensions into the Final Cut 7 XML. It's still causing us some issues. There are some 
you know, we'd love to be able to support Sink and Link for Premiere. Okay, that would be interesting. Yeah, and again, I, at some point, the, the, the demand is going to arise for a batch processing of double system yeah. sound. Yeah, and especially with, you know, the, so many of the cameras, you know, especially when we get into 4K. Yes, yes, indeed. And as especially as Premiere Pro does move into, you know, higher-end production, it is inevitable. Mm-hmm. In the same way that Final Cut 7 filtered up, Premiere Pro is going to filter up, and Adobe like in Apple, work hard to make those relationships work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, it's going to be needed. And we were stymied up until, I think, CS6 by the fact that, oh, timecode isn't actually in the exported XML. Ooh. So that's <laughs> fixed. That got, that got addressed. What's that about? Uh, well, you know. <laughs> but there are still issues in that they, they don't support merge clips in the same way that um, Final oh. Cut 7 XML should support merge clips. Okay. In other words, they get exported as, as uh, nested sequences. And then it doesn't even round trip to Premiere properly. So, See, this is why I'm glad I'm not a programmer. Ah, but, you know, we, one thing I, I will point out, though, that we do make these things known to the right people in the companies. They're very open to hearing the issues that we have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, within their ability to address things, by which I mean everything has to be prioritized and everything has to go into, a, into an engineering manager's schedule, they are reasonably... Uh, reasonably responsive. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the time code thing was was fixed because we, amongst other people, complained about it. Well, and and uh, it's kind of interesting that you know people should realize when they go to buy your products at intelligentassistance.com <laughs> that there's a reason that you're getting paid to do this because Greg puts a lot of work in to make this stuff happen. Yeah, to make yeah. other people's lives easier. Yeah, boy, I, I, I sound like a commercial, don't I? <laughs> but it's well, true. As, as I said, we've spent a lot of effort making it work with, with Adobe's version of Final Cut Pro 7 XML, um, both in and out, and because I think we see 10 to 7 as, as largely, you know, um, these days, 10 from Final Cut Pro 10 into After Effects. Well, that makes sense, yeah. Um, so any, anywhere where you're going, yeah. Because we're seeing increasing sales. The one product that we thought would have a one-year application as people went into 10 and <laughs> freaked out and had to go back to 7 yeah. or, or got into 10 and realized, well, if we go back to 7, we can get OMF or we have to go back into 7 workflows. Mm-hmm. Two years later, is actually doing stronger than ever. It's the 7 to 10 that's fading out. Yeah, it's funny because I, um, you know, I didn't know that, that XML were all different. And so I was talking to Westplate, I don't know, this is probably four years ago in NAB, and I was like, so what would you do if everybody starts supporting XML? You're kind of out of business. And he goes, oh, no. <laughs> There's so many different languages that XML will always be working. And here you are. Yeah. You've got to go through Final Cut 7, a dead product's XML to get into. Well, I think Final Cut, 7, <laughs> Final Cut 7 XML is kind of like OMF. It's been much more popular after its official demise. That's funny. It's become a de facto standard beyond what... It, it never was. And, and that's the advantage of XML is that it's very easy for people to work with. This is why we're dead, dreadfully afraid of AAF. It's probably yeah. – no, it's actually probably no more difficult. There are probably tools out there and, there and I found some resources that make it look as if it's not going to be quite as painful. It's not really that we expect it to be not possible. It's just that somewhere along the line, Greg's, gotta have, Greg's got to have a concentrated amount of time where he can focus on just yeah. cracking that. Yeah. Now – I think Lumberjack and... But it should be easy. It's the advanced authoring format. Come on. How hard can it be? (laughs) It's a binary, (laughs) not text. (laughs) Oh, good. Yeah. So, yeah. And if you've got the right tools, that isn't necessarily a big issue. We we already pull information out of of files, which are binaries, Mm -hmm. um, for for various reasons, to read dates out of of WAV files and the like. 
It's the dark channel stuff that's going to burn you. Our two likely media composer needs. Lumberjack is going to be fairly straightforward. We just want to basically get your clip references so we can add a whole lot of metadata onto it as probably subclips and give it back to you. Okay. That's not going to be real hard. Right. And the other use would be sequence clip reporter because I think I mentioned the irony here is we tried to make something that gave reporting uh, tools similar to Avid's to Final Cut users, and now we have a whole bunch of media composer users who are coming over and saying, hey, you know that tool you made for Final Cut? Can we have that for media composer? <laughs> What is it that they don't get out of Media Composer? That nicely formatted spreadsheets. Oh, it's just the formatting. <laughs> I've actually looked at the exports from Media Composer. Yeah, they yeah. suck. Yeah, they do. The by comparison with what we're doing, they do suck. I mean, all the information is there, but yeah, the formatting really sucks. It's and, hard to read. And it's not divided up into here's a summary sheet, here's a real yeah, by real no. sheet, here's a, a, an effects sheet. I think, no, it's, I think it, they do better with effects reporting because they they report versions accurately. Yeah, in but all still, other, the way the layout's not good. Yeah, it does work if you're stuck in this and you do want the reporting functionality, the uh, automatic duck, the free automatic duck AAF to Final Cut 7 XML does work for this. Ah, okay. And so you can still then run that into into a sequence clip reporter and get your reports out in seconds instead of days. Hmm. <laughs> um, but it is, uh, you know, we, those two things are not going to be that demanding on right. what the XML has to do. It's when you get into the effects that, you know, that's the dark channel areas that I know. Yeah. Stuff like that, well, simply if it's dark, it won't be reported. No. Yeah. That's basically what happens with the XMLs that with the automatic duck. You know, yeah. you well, you can't. It's be- just it was an effect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they reverse Wes and his dad reverse engineered a bunch of things. You know, the basic effects, yeah. but you know, third party effects and all that. Forget it. But they had to reverse engineer it because they couldn't get that info. You know, it was one. Of, it's always was one of my pet peeves with Avid. Why would you hide that stuff? What are you so worried about? You know that that people might use your product and want to interface with other products. That's better than people don't want to use your product, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, hello. <laughs> and now that they've – oh, yeah, that's what we haven't talked about. Now that they've end-of-life DS, oh, yeah. uh, you know, where are you going to finish outside of Avid anyways, you know? <clears throat> Resolve. Well, you can do that now. You know, Well, that supports AEF. It's, that's going to be interesting because when they – I didn't think about that. We know when they go to 10, yeah. which is supposed to now be more of a finishing tool – yeah, what's going to happen? How are they going to carry? How many effects are going to come across? How are they going to handle that part? That's not going to work. If it's dark, so, it's dark. Unless yeah. they get actually active. Um, See, that's a that's that's the problem. See, Avid needs to open that up because they don't have a, you know, they don't have a high end finishing solution anymore. Nope. Even though you know nobody was buying DS anyways, other than people who already had it. Now they have nothing. <laughs> yeah. To sell, so they should completely open that data up because they're not protecting a market anymore. No, no, they're not. Presumably, that would have translated to DS correctly. Yes. Yeah, they, and they spent a lot of time making all that. It took them, I, I don't know, four or five versions before they finally got that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people we know and love at Avid, but there's some yeah. of the decisions that, that perhaps it's, people higher up from those make. Yeah. Uh, Hard yeah, to fathom. Never-ending uh, sense of wonderment. In fact, I think one of the things that ultimately made Final Cut 7 strong and is certainly helping Final Cut 10 is the ecosystem that lives around them. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, the, 7, definitely. Yeah. Which is why Premiere is the natural you know, move from 7 is because it's kind of the same thing. You have all yeah. the external apps that all tie very well together and da-da-da-da, you know. Yes, and their color correction goes passes through the XML. Final Cut Pro 7 color correction passes to Premiere. Oh, it does? It's the only place where I don't think our translation is definitely superior, and it annoys me. <laughs> and it's not like we're getting hundreds of requests for, please, you know, can you make the color correction translate? Yeah. It's just 
bugs me. Bugs me. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, as a colorist, generally the first thing I do is remove all the color corrections yeah, from offline yeah. anyway. So. so maybe that's we, – we've had people want titles to translate with higher fidelity, but – Oh. And as long as they're not Boris titles, and when Final Cut 10 introduces the ability to do that, of course we will. But oh, you no, can't do it now? You can't read out of no, the No, there are no all. parameters for titles and no parameters for effects and no parameters for transitions. Oh, because they're all like the third – I mean, they're from outside. You no, know. it's just that they're not, in, they're just not in the XML. I mean, everything that goes into the XML takes somebody – a finite amount of time to sit in a cubicle and type write out it in there. <laughs> and write some code to deal with it so into the into the XML parser, and so every time every feature has to be added specifically. It doesn't. It's not like everything is there by default. And so we've we do things for seven to ten. We just simply put it into notes or markers where we can, so that you you know what you at least in. know that it's gone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and we we can put the non Boris stuff in for the titles, but Boris hides everything in a binary blob inside the XML, so only Boris can read it. Back to the dark channel stuff. It is dark channel stuff, yeah. and I'm sorry that we can't translate it. Hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> hint, Boris, hint, Boris. It's not Avid's best interests to minimize that ecosystem. Right. That, that's the old model, though, and it's yeah. so hard to get them to shake that concept. I mean, I've been trying to talk them into it for 10 years. I was pushing them so hard to get XML in. You know, if they'd had XML in, in Media Composer... It would have been great, you know, because then you could. It didn't. It wouldn't matter if you offlined in in Final Cut or if you offline in Media Composer. You could finish wherever you want. You know, you can move back and forth. I mean, you know how many people want to move back and forth between Final Cut and Avid all the time because this editor likes Final Cut and that mm-hmm. editor prefers Avid. Wouldn't that be great if you could just do that seamlessly? Why should you be prohibited from that? Yeah. Because people are trying to protect this little yeah. you know fiefdom that had doesn't a, really exist anymore. Had a request this morning. You know, can we get Final Cut Pro? 10 event information back to Final Cut 7. Essentially, oh, okay. your bins, and no. Oh, darn. <laughs> what if you threw everything in a timeline? All yeah, the yeah, you could do that. So that's how, yeah, because that's how you do it with Automatic Duck. That's yeah. how you get around stuff. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you just throw it all in a sequence and go, okay, take this over. Well, that, that will certainly work. Um, and with Producer's Best Friend coming, you can, you can export all the, the keyword information. Oh, that's good. And all the notes and everything, so it. at least you can send that back. We get occasional requests for that because Final Cut 10 is such a great logging tool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people want to log in it, but they still want to edit in something else. So. Well, I mean, there's people using Premiere just as a, a, you know, a Swiss Army knife for uh, files and then go to another editing system to, add, to edit. Yep. You know. And I don't think Adobe's unhappy about that. Well, but you know what? I mean, whatever tool, you, you know. Yeah. Adobe sells the, uh, you know, they, they sell them on the cloud either way. So what's the difference? Exactly. It's another subscription, you know. It's great that we're actually at a point where you can sit here with all these tools on the same computer and go, well, I'm going to pick the best one for this little teeny part of my, you know, of my workflow. And yeah. maybe it's not, you know, because none of them are the be all end all of all workflows. No, no, you know? no, no. So it's great that we can actually have all of them. You can have all those apps on there for a fraction of the price you used to pay for one. Yeah. So well, I don't know how anybody can complain about it. Yeah. What was Media Composer used to be two and a half thousand when it got cheap. Yeah, when I got cheap. <laughs> yes. Yeah, when I got cheap. Yeah, I mean, I remember one hundred fifty thousand dollars media composers, and the first Symphony we bought at Match Frame was three hundred and fifty. Wow! Of course, that's hardware too, but still. But still, it's come a long way, and where it's going to go, who knows? Because it's a, I think it's an exciting time. We're into a rapid growth period, a rapid period of change, which 
I tend to like and thrive in. Most people hate <laughs> with a passion. People have, I think people want things to get better without changing. Well, yeah, that would be the easiest way, of course. Yeah, It just doesn't happen that way. Well, I know, unfortunately. I mean, I'd rather spend my time learning about things that are completely unrelated to my industry, you know, reading other things. But no, I have to spend my spare time keeping up with my industry as it changes. Yeah. That, that's kind of a – because that doesn't add to my personal growth. That just adds to my – uh, uh, work growth. Ability to stay employed. Yeah, ability. Yes, exactly. Ability to earn income. It adds there, but I, you know, I, I like that other part of my life too. Philip looks blank. Yeah, why does Philip look blank? Other part of your life. <laughs> I've heard exactly. people talk about this, but you have a family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, my other part of my life is my is my balcony garden. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's my hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I only have to fight off caterpillars. So much easier than than the bugs that that in, uh, infiltrate software. Nothing, nothing like a nothing that uh, DDT won't take care of. Oh wait, no, that's not legal anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Nor is it terribly organic. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is that. Um. So. so- we, I think uh, we've beat the hell out of this thing. We've sort of wrapped, to wrap it up. We talked about the, the, the problems with the App Store and the benefits for a small developer. I mean, we had to develop our own store, our own serial number mechanism, had to do downloads, all of that. Oh, wow. And that's all taken care of with the App Store. Oh, okay. And it has issues for some types of applications. As I said, workflow applications. The one thing you can't sell with an in-app uh, purchase is a monthly subscription to the software itself. Oh. Well, Adobe wouldn't want to hear that. <laughs> no. That kind of pretty much precludes Adobe from ever going in the App Store. Yeah. Um, but then Apple, Apple would control the experience anyway, so it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And for the same reason, I don't think Avid, there's no benefit for Avid to go into the App Store with, with Media Composer or any of the associated apps. Final Cut Pro has no other choice. Yeah. I don't necessarily think it's the, the Final Cut Pro team themselves are necessarily ecstatic about having to go to the App Store. Wow. It was probably the most complex app that's ever had to go through the App Store. And should they ever get to sandboxing it, I... So how did, how are they able to go into the App Store without sandboxing and you couldn't? <clears throat> well, because, you see, it's still a legacy app. You, if you don't do a major upgrade... Uh-huh. Oh, so if you had it before. Yeah. So, we, so 7 to 10 and 10 mm-hmm. to 7 in the App Store, I, we, we haven't added any new features in the last two years. We're just doing bug <laughs> fixes. Okay. So if we, because if we did a new version with new features, then that then would have you'd to be, be sandboxed. So in the, in the beginning of the App Store, the sandbox rules weren't there. They kicked in at some point. They it's... gave warning of them, and they put it back twice Okay. before they implemented it. And I'm sure, I'm sure that the, the, the Final Cut... 10 team are under pressure and the motion team and the compressor team all to to sandbox it but so once they if they were to come out with a final cut 11 they'd have to go sandbox i think it would be 10.1 oh well any paid upgrade any paid any paid upgrade would absolutely have okay, to be okay so that would be where yeah. they'd get oh man yeah I'm, i suspect that the fact that they're still not sandboxed at this point is that they're the the challenges to having final cut 10 sandboxed have been recognized within the company and there's being given a little bit more flexibility to achieve it. Yeah, I mean, I think that if anybody gets a break, it's going to be Apple themselves. Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> that would be my guess. That would be my guess too. <laughs> At any rate, uh, this, uh, you know, I think that wraps this show up. And if you have any interest in any of the great tools that we've been talking about in this show that will make your life easier going any which way, 10 to 7, 7 to 10, any way to Premiere or now the new. Uh, producer's best friend. Every port you need from Final Cut Pro 10, 
formatted beautifully in a spreadsheet without any EDL or copy and paste. Go to intelligentassistance.com. Or what's the other? Uh, AssistedEditing.com will get you there as well. Okay. Or the App Store, I guess, for... App Store, most of them, yes. The, in fact, Producer's Best Friend will be App Store only. Sync and Link is App Store only. Yeah, Sync and Link 10 and Producer's Best Friend are App Store only. The other 7 to 10 and 10 to 7, because we do get bulk sales of those okay. and uh, education sales, we keep them out. We have a version out of the App Store as well. Ah, good call. Yeah. Well... It helps meet the need, which is what we're about at Intelligent Assistance, is making people's lives more comfortable. And at Alpha Dogs, you're about making people's projects more beautiful. This is true. And sound better. And sound better. Until next time, thank you for listening. And do something creative.